Thank you. Thank you. Well, the title of this lesson is called Jacob's Journey, and something to my great amusement has been happening rather recently when regards to journeys. Brother John is a dog called Loki, named after the Viking god of mischief, and he's been going on his own journeys. So he got so frustrated, he got a little chip. Was it put in him or on, on something? Well, on his collar. On his collar. Well, now he can find him. Now he can trace him wherever he is. And it made me think, you know, I'm so glad that God knows exactly where I am because even if we're lost, we're not lost to him unless we're lost outside of him, outside of Christ. And I thought, what a perfect illustration. And some of us would certainly give the Viking God of mischief a run for his money. And you think of all the things that God has to put up with us. We're far from perfect. And when we talk about Jacob, here is a man who is far from perfect, to say the least. And yet God used him. So we're going to follow his journey tonight. And we're going to see what we can glean from his life and hopefully learn from his mistakes and not make, them if, not make those same mistakes if we come even close to doing so. Now, more than any of the ancient patriarchs, Jacob speaks to us. He comes nearer to our life in human infirmity, in human imperfection, in human worthlessness, in human suffering, in trial and discipline, and in the grace of God, which is magnified by all these things. God calls him a worm as a true figure of his groveling, crooked, naturally selfish, and a supplanting nature. But God gave to the worm the mightiest of names. He would give Jacob the name of Prince with God, or as we know it better, Israel. Showing that grace can take us in our lost estate and seize us with Christ in the heavenly places. So as we start Jacob's journey, let's start with his very birth. For even before he was born, he was a troublemaker. The first symbol that comes up in the life of Jacob is his birth. And we see here a figure of his future. It would seem as if in him that had, <clears throat> even in his mother's womb, some of that inborn spirit. The beginning of that faith would afterwards develop so mightily. So Hosea says, he took his brother by the heel in his mother's womb. Hosea 12 and verse 3. A, a troublemaker before he was born. As if in some way he, he had that in him, which pressed him afterward to claim the mightiest of promises from God. Then we move on to his birthright. The birthright of the ancient patriarchs involved not only the headship of the tribe, but the spiritual privileges of the divine covenant. This was a very serious thing indeed. They seem to have understood in, in some measure, Jacob did and Isaac at a later period, that there was more involved in the birthright than in the mere leadership of his house. He wasn't just the chieftain of the tribe. Undoubtedly, his mother had taught him the hopes involved in his birth and the promises which heralded it. And looking down the ages to come, he may even have seen afar off the coming of the Saviour and linked with it the hope of his eternal future. There had been promises made to Abraham. From his line would come the Redeemer of the entire world. 
This it was that made the act of his claiming the birthright, notwithstanding all that was mean and selfish to the way he got it, an act worthy of the highest commendation. Had he claimed it by the rights that belonged to him according to the promises given before he was born, it would have been an act of the highest faith. It is the same act which we perform when we prize and claim the offer of our salvation and sonship in the family of God and let us do everything to go unsecured. Now this had been promised to Jacob before his birth. He claimed the prize with the tenancy of faith and then marred his faith by adding his own works. God counted the faith, dropped out the works, and burned out the sin with the discipline of suffering. And yet we cannot forget that he saw its value and that his brother Esau despised it. Esau said, I am at the point to die. What use is it? Genesis twenty-five thirty-two. when he was hungry. He sold his birthright for a meal. Esau had no sense of the eternal future. Or he would have prized the birthright above all earthly treasures, even in the dying hour. But Jacob saw the treasure and eagerly claimed it and made it his own. You see, he knew that it was more than just the chieftain of the clan, the head of the tribe. There was a spiritual dimension to this as well. There were promises for him and for his descendants. And so you and I stand with Jacob when we claim our birthright when we lay hold on our gospel rights, when we take with the firm faith not only the covenant of mercy promised before we were born, but when we press on to take our whole inheritance in God, not only to be saved, but to be sanctified, set apart, not only to believe, but to become an heir of God, a prince with Israel, and a partner in the glory of your Saviour. This is the meaning of the birthright. And the faith that claims it. So we see the value of it. But while we imitate Jacob's faith. Let us avoid his unbelief. He also. He that believes. Enters into rest. He that works. Works because he does not believe. When you are sure God has given you the blessing. You rest in him. But when you are afraid God will fail. Or outwit then you try to help and only succeed in hindering the work of God Jacob, Jacob's falls were caused by the crookedness of his own nature which God had to burn out of him God help us to learn the lesson and so believe that in quietness and confidence that shall be our strength and we shall not only hope but quietly wait for the salvation of God, Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15. The next step on Jacob's journey was his vision. We pass on to the third emblem of his life, and that is the vision at Bethel. It came in the darkest hour of his life, when midnight was around him, and a stone was his pill, a symbol of the darker and sadder lot which seemed to await him. And yet it was in that dark hour in the wilderness, on that stony pillow, that the God of heaven was about to meet him in covenant blessing. 
The vision of Bethel tells of God's first revealing of himself to the soul that has chosen him. Jacob chose God when he chose the birthright, but God had not met Jacob. Jacob was like us when we take the promise and have not yet seen the promiser. You claim the blessing, you hold it by faith, but God always makes the faith the reality. The days pass by and when he seems to have forgotten his promise and faith begins to faint, then it is that all heaven gathers about you. We may doubt God, but do not doubt him. He would not leave us. He would not forsake us. We must trust him. We must trust God and have patience and wait on him. He knows what he's doing. When it begins to grow dark and dangerous, when your own personal Esau threatens your life, when it is with you in the wilderness, the midnight and the stony pillow, then God comes and meets you and makes real to your soul that which was accepted by our simple faith before. We see that Jacob had the vision first, then victory, faith first, then sight. He learned to trust simply in God's word and then God himself in all the fullness of a blessed realization. I am not alone. Jacob's vision is also a foreshadowing of the pathway of his own life. He sees a ladder and the top of it reaches up to heaven while God appears at the top as the God of his fathers. Now it teaches us that the only true ladder of life is one that reaches to the sky. Jacob's ladder went all the way up to heaven. The ladders of human ambition only reach a few years ahead of us, don't they? Man's highest ambition is satisfied when he can mount the pinnacle of fame or reach the fulfillment of some cherished dream, some knowledge, perhaps a friendship or perhaps wealth. But that is the length of their ladder. It reaches only a very little way. There are 50, 60, 70 perhaps. And it goes up as high as four score years and more if we are blessed. But Jacob's ladder had scarcely begun then. It reached all the way up to heaven. When we look into the future and we count so much on it, have we made sure of the highest issues of life and eternity? Let our ladder reach up to the sky. And then Jacob's ladder was not only a long one, but it ascended step by step, rung by rung. Not all at one bound, but little by little, moment by moment. So God is leading us on step by step as we read the Bible, as we journey through its word, discovering the will of God for our lives. What a change it makes to reveal his mercy, to understand the judgment that awaits those who deny God. Are we willing to walk patiently, moment by moment, overcoming through him, and ascending. Again, Jacob's ladder rose out of the very darkest hour of his life. And so our blessings are born out of our gracious trials. Is your pillow a hard one? Is your sky very dark? Look out for the ladder. It's there against the sky. You will see it if you look up. If you shut your eyes and ears to all the care 
and trust in God. Bring it to Him in prayer, for you are not alone. You might think that you are lost, even as a Christian. You might doubt God's will. You might think He doesn't know what's happening in my life. Oh, he doesn't care. He can't find me. He will always find you. He is never far from you. You see, our God is a God who is very personal and he's very tender and he's very caring. He is not some distant deity that started everything up and then just left it alone. He's involved in our lives and he wants to be involved in our lives. But we need to meet him where he is at. Those divine covenant, that divine covenant of promise is still available to us today. The best thing about Jacob's ladder is that it ended with God. God was on top of it. And God was with him all the way down, holding it up that it might not slip and supporting the traveler at every step. So let your ladder be guided by his hand, not leaning against the cloudy tower of your ambitions but by the hands that were pierced for you. Have you ever noticed someone busy about your house when they've, you've wanted you to hold a, a step ladder while they climbed it? There is one, my friends, to hold the ladder while you mount the heights that would make you tremble, but for his everlasting arms. And once you are, once more we are taught that not only is God at the top of the ladder, but the angels of his providence are moving up and down every rung and guarding your steps. You are not alone. And so your way is under his direction, his providence. Every step is under his care. And so he says to you as to Jacob, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Genesis 28 and verse 15. Again, Jacob's vision is the symbol not only of life's pathway, but of Jesus Christ himself. The open door and the only way of communion and communication with heaven. Christ himself has given us this interpretation of Jacob's vision. Speaking to Nathaniel under the fig tree in John 1 verse 51 who seems to have been reading this very chapter. It's John 1, verse 51. He says, Here, hereafter, you shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Have we made that consecration and claimed that covenant? Is there a voice saying to you, my friends, I am with thee, and I shall keep thee in all the places thou goest. And I will not leave thee until I have done all I have spoken to thee of. Genesis twenty-eight seventeen. Isn't is it not safe? Is it not safe to leave all in those mighty arms, all our cares, all our worries and concerns? Has He given you this mighty word? I will not stop until I have done all unto thee that I have spoken to thee of. You see, our God is the God of promises. And we can be sure that he will be faithful to the promises that we read of in the New Testament. For he has never let down those whom he promised in the old. 
no matter what it was. Even though they forsook him, even though they turned against his covenant, did God ever break his covenant with them? God does not break covenants. Men do. And then we read the victory at Penuel. We see Jacob now many years further on, but not many rounds up that ladder. He is about where he was at Bethel. And so God has to throw across his path a tremendous shock to wake him up, wake him up to the true meaning of his life. He lets a child come that threatens the life of himself and his dearest ones. So God is not only at the top of the ladder, but all the way along. Jesus Christ comes from God and reaches down to man a living ladder of human steps. Is every step you take a step in Christ? Is every step you take a step with him? We must be walking with him as well. We must seek him with all of our hearts and souls. Because this is the blessed meaning. It is God at the beginning. God at the end. God all the way along. And God all and in all. Again, we see not only the pathway and the ladder, but the covenant and the consecration. Jacob rises and on the altar consecrates himself. With poor and perfect words, it is true. And if it looks like wavering faith, still God takes it. And henceforth in life is linked in tender bonds with Jehovah's everlasting love. This is the very beginning, the foundations of what would become the nation of Israel. From this line would come the Messiah. Now his brother had been infuriated. Because he thought, oh, Jacob stole my inheritance. Well, he didn't steal it. Esau sold it. He gave it up. But his infuriated brother with hundreds of armed followers is sweeping down upon Jacob in this part of his life. And here are the little ones and here are the helpless wives and flocks of Jacob. And the pilgrim with the staff is helpless against this mighty warrior. It is an hour of most extreme trial, but poor Jacob is at it again, putting out the feeler, sending out his presence and trying to coax the lion and see what his ingenuity can effect. Then there seems to come over him a sense of helplessness and putting his dear ones in the hands of God, he goes alone at Jabbok's ford. It was night again, a dark night. There was not a star in the sky, and I'm afraid he did not even see the ladder there now. But he had it out with God, and God came nearer than he had in Jacob's dream. Clouds and thick darkness are round about his throne, and in the darkest clouds you will find him. But it is different from the vision at Bethel. The danger is nearer now, and God is nearer too. Then it was God at the top of the ladder. Now it is God on the level of Jacob, wrestling with him, leaving Jacob in his very arms, and Jacob able to put his arms around his very God. God has come very close to Jacob, because Jacob is wanted by God. That wrestling has very much of a mystery in it, doesn't it? That deep Convulsive struggle, some of us can understand who have ever had a night of agony, 
in which it seemed as though our very insides were wrestling, full of doubts and fears, and that the cords of our very hearts were taking hold of something invisible. But there are lessons here that touch many points. It teaches us that out of the thing that is hardest, we ought to may get the greatest of blessings. Out of the thing in your life by which you are nearly crushed, you are to have your grandest victory. Out of the thing that seems ready to conquer you and destroy you and turn your life upside down and finish you off, God wants to bring you to a faith that you never had before and a revelation of his love and power that you never even dreamed of. That very thing you thought a stumbling stone, God means to make a pillow for your head and a ladder of ascension to his very presence. So do not wait until you get into a comfortable position and say that you will live a Christian life. Do not say, I am going to get to a certain place I am going to get things fixed up and then I will serve God. Don't say that. But go to God and let him fix up the things. And you will be a Christian through the very experience your trial and deliverance have brought you. It is a fight. Whoever told you being a Christian was going to be an easy journey obviously had no idea what they were talking about. You see, when you become a Christian... It's not a holiday. It's not a vacation. It's not being at the beach having an ice cream on a nice sunny day. Not Pensacola Beach. It's Normandy Beach. It's 1944. And the enemy wants to kill you. There's a target on your head. There's nothing that hurts and upsets the devil more to see a Christian that obeys God and trusts in him and will not give up no matter what the trial might come. There is something else here that we must have. We must have the strength of prayer in our lives. There's something else in prayer. There's a rest and a trust. But I do think the rest comes before the throes of agony are past. There is something in prayer that takes hold of God and cries, I will not let thee go until thou bless me. That's what Jacob said to God in Genesis 32 verse 26. It is not weakness, it is earnestness, it is life, it is the throes and travailing of a birth that cannot come any other way. It isn't doubting, it is power and it will end in rest if you let God have his way. This is the meaning of your distress and the burden that is on you. It is the Holy Ghost groaning within you with groanings that cannot be uttered. Acts, uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 26. So do not try to work up a frenzy of prayer, for that is offensive to God and good taste. But when you have the throes and the agonies of Jacob's prayer, remember Christ had it too. And then again, we learn at Penuel not only the efficacy of the prayer that overcomes, but also the element that breaks down. Jacob did not get his answer by struggling until at last he yielded and fell prostrate at the feet of him that wrestled with him. Then he received his blessing, and only then. Jacob was expecting his brother to slay him, to kill him, to destroy him. Instead, Instead, they reconcile. 
Now when Jacob was wrestling, the hollow of Jacob's thigh was put out of joint. And in his anguish, Jacob gave a cry of despair and he fell at the feet of the mighty one. It was with him for the rest of his life, a constant reminder of that event. Well, when Jacob found himself before his brother Esau, he didn't find a lion waiting to consume him. Instead, a tamed lion with weeping eyes, a brother that sought reconciliation. He found loving arms and a brother's heart meeting his brother with reconciliation and tenderness. God had done all that. God's providence had done all that. And we must have power with God first. And then we have it with others. But the best of all this was that Jacob was now a new man. And God said as he rose, Thou shalt no more be called Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with man and with, and with men and hast prevailed. Genesis thirty two twenty eight. And so, brethren, we rise out of our trials. Our old selves gone, the old man and woman cancelled and wearing his new name. And the best name we can, name, we can have is that of Christian. We are Christians. We are his. You see, what you want to get rid of isn't the sins of Jacob, but Jacob himself. It is to leave ourselves behind, leave the sin, leave the old man behind, leave, the, leave those things which brought us to sin, to turn against God, to turn against Christ, to go out another person in the life of Christ. For our old selves are dead and we are alive now in whom and through him, in Christ Jesus so as we move on through his journey, we reach Jacob's return to, Beth, but return to Bethel. He did not get his full blessings all at once. He seems to have got away from it for a while. But after hours of prayer and victory, we too may go back. You say, I had such a blessing, but I lost it. Well, you can go back to Bethel and dwell there. You can go back for reconciliation. Perhaps you cannot go to the same altar, but you can go to the same arms. You can go back and understand that God will finish his work and the covenant will be confirmed. Now the future of Jacob to do this fully was perhaps the secret of all his later trials. Jacob went back, but he did not stay there. He did not stay trusting in God. If he had, I believe, he would have escaped the bitter trials that followed. But a little later we read that Jacob wandered through the land again. And soon after came Dinah's fall, the strife of his sons, the betrayal and sale of Joseph to the Midianites, and the wreck of Jacob's hopes for years. If only he had have trusted in God. If only he had have rested on his promises and not tried to force it. But Abraham had done the same thing. God had promised Abraham a son by his wife, Sarah. But Abraham decided not to wait. Instead, he had a child from Hagar, the maidservant of Hagar. 
And that child's name was Ishmael, but he was not the child of promise. Ishmael went out and he had many sons. And his tribe grew bigger and bigger. Today that tribe is known as the Arab nation or nations. And as we know, the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Ishmael get along so well, don't they? Was there any problems between the Israelites and the Arabs? Even today, is there any problems between Israel and the Arabs? There's jealousy, and jealousy is at the root of it. If you were to read the Quran, their idea of Abraham's sacrifice was that he didn't go to sacrifice Isaac, but that he, chose, that he went to sacrifice Ishmael. According to them, the Ishmaelites were God's chosen people. The Arabs were his chosen people. Not just a chosen people, but a master race. I beg your pardon. Now, everybody else was inferior to them. The things the Quran says about people of, of African origin, the descendants of Ham, are absolutely horrendous. I'm not prepared to go into them tonight. But it is dreadful, the things which they said. How they can make an account that all of God's prophets before the false prophet Muhammad were Jews, well, that, that's a problem for them. But let it be a problem for them. The biggest problem they have is that they believe in falsehood. See, God knows what he's doing. And if only Abraham had have waited, think of all the problems that would not have occurred. Now Jacob eventually went back to Bethlehem and for a time he had the, the bitterest cup that a mortal ever drank. And I don't know anything sadder than the second failure after consecration. He had things right with God, but then he fell again. We read in Judges that after the children of Israel had entered the promised land, they went back to sin and their fall lasted 400 years. Jacob's descendants had become a mighty nation as they had been promised. The Messiah would come through Jacob's line and not Isaac's. It would come through, uh, and yes, Isaac's, through Jacob's line and not Esau's. It would come through Isaac's line and not Ishmael's. It would come through the line of Judah. It would come through the line of Obed and David. If only we would trust in God and understand he knows what he's doing and we do not need to help him. The closing scenes of Jacob's life are full of instruction for us and they're full of comfort too. At last, it is all right. And standing before Pharaoh in Egypt after they fled the land because of famine, he can say all things work together for good. Jacob had a happy ending and things were good in Egypt for a while. His people prospered. They had many children. The nation grew. But then things went sour. An Egyptian pharaoh came in that did not know Joseph, didn't know Jacob, and seen the Israelites purely as a source of free labor and enslaved them. But for now, a while before that, things were all right at last. And it would be all right for us, poor erring ones as well. How many sorrows may we escape 
And how many snares shall we miss if we will always literally and wholly obey our covenant God and abide in him? To abide in God, to trust in him. He's in our lives. He's watching over us all the time. We are not lost in regards to where we are. Now we move on to the last part of Jacob's life, beyond his life, to his grave. As he was dying in Egypt, he called his family about him and his beloved Joseph, and he asked for his bones to be buried in Canaan, to be brought into the land promised by God. And so they swore to him, and after a time, the long procession moved back again. Eventually they got to the promised land. And they laid him in a cave in the land. It's still there. You can still go and see it today if you like. Jacob was looking to the time when the trumpet should sound and the dead arise. And he wanted to have his very bones within the covenant land of God. And so, my friends, have you chosen your grave among God's people? I don't mean so much as your literal grave, as your future, your end, and the resurrection glory. See, that was the beautiful faith of Joseph when he died, and Jacob. He commanded too that his bones should be carried back when Israel went through the Red Sea. And God wants us to look out for our bones. Not as some people do, looking forward to their funeral expenses or a gravestone but for the time when you shall rise again and your dust shall be glorified with Christ and as ransomed ones or covered with everlasting shame and contempt. My friends, we have a life and our lives are weak. They are erring. And how much we need the grace of God within them. But the God of Jacob, he's so tender, he's so faithful, he's so good, he is so patient, and he is willing to be your God and mine. He was willing to be the God of Jacob, a man who had erred so much, a man who had deceived his own brother, A man who was far from perfect. David was far from perfect. Moses was far from perfect. Paul was far from perfect. We are are far from perfect. So let us take him into our lives. Let us hold on to him. Let us remember the spirit of the old hymn, which has been the cradle song of many of us from our childhood. O God of Bethel, by whose hand thy people still are fed who through this weary pilgrimage hast all our fathers led. O spread thy covering wings around till all our wanderings cease and at our fathers' loved abode our souls arrive in peace. Our God is the God of promise. He does not break his promises. He is true to his covenant. And we can be sure that the same God who seen Jacob right in his life will see us right in ours. The same God who was ever faithful to all those who followed him is taking care of us. 
no matter where we might be on life's ladder. And age is no, age is no marker for that. We don't know how long we have to live. The Lord could decide to wind up the earth this very evening. That's why there's an urgency in the call of the gospel. It's not hear it and then have a, have a think about it till next Wednesday or next Sunday or wait till next year. Or do all the things that you can do in this life before you repent. As some have taught to do. And they're certainly missing the point of it. I've heard of some saying, oh I will, I'll accept Jesus. I will do what he tells me to do. When I see him coming on the clouds, well, my friend, that's too late. That's too late. There are many who think, oh, I will wait until my deathbed, and then I will get baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. Well, my friends, that's too late too. Why is it too late? Because you don't know if you're going to be in your right mind on your deathbed. You don't know if you're even going to be there. If you are lucky, you'll sleep all the way through it. And if you are blessed when you sleep all the way through your death, when you open your eyes, the first person you'll see is the Lord Jesus Christ. I know of an old preacher who was invited to come and speak at a congregation. And as it was his time to get up and speak, he wasn't moving. And the brother who had sung the song said, it's, it's time, it's time, and he wasn't moving. They went over to him and the man had died waiting to get up to preach. I thought, what a way to go. He was getting ready to get up and preach the word of God. And when he opened up his eyes, who did he see? Well, according to the Bible, he would have seen Jesus Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, that's a way to go, isn't it? But the only way to leave this life is in Christ. And we must have a good knowledge in our minds. The ability to say that I agree with what Christ wants me to do. And I willfully obey him. Not all have that time. It can come to an end so quick. And there really is no time like the present to get right with God. He will meet you where you are in your life. He will meet you at your sin and help you overcome it. He will meet you throughout your life and help you overcome the problems and the fears that you have. And how much easier is life to live when we have the simple faith of a child in God. I remember being told of a young girl who was playing with her skipping rope and she got it all tangled and tossed and she couldn't undo it. So she just ran into her father and she said, Here, here dad, you do it. And she ran back out and he untangled her life. That's what it's like because we can't untangle our lives. We can't get right with God on our own power. It is through Christ Jesus that we get there. It is through Christ Jesus that we reach the promised land of heaven. And to be able to dwell with him forevermore. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. If you believe the words of the covenant God of the Bible, the one who's with us in our lives, the one who will not leave us and never forsake us, then obey his words tonight. Take your problems, take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. 
and he will not leave you. And if you are a Christian this evening and you've wandered, come back to him while yet you may, for he is a loving and tender Savior and he will not leave you. If you need our prayers, if you need our help in any way, please do let us know because you're not alone. And no matter where you are in this world, no matter where you are in your life, God knows. It won't surprise him. You can bring your sins to him and confess them and get right with him while yet you may. I thank you for your attention.